Hey, Mark. Are you well? I'm going to assume you're well. Well, today, yes, I am. (laughs) Okay, good. All right. Now, you usually start these podcasts with some kind of a very pertinent question for me. Is that, are you going to do that today? Okay, I'll, I'll come up with something off the fly. If you had to be any animal, what would you be? I'd be a wolf. A wolf? That was really fast. That was crazy fast. I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. Okay, all right, okay. <laughs> then then explain, explain, please. One of my favorite books as a, as a kid was The Valley of Creation, Edmund Hamilton. And in it, the main character turns into an animal. I think it was a wolf. But it made me think, you know, what animal would I turn into? And I love dogs, but dogs are basically immature wolves. So I don't want to be an immature animal. I want to be a mature animal, hence the wolf. Aren't they really just more like sucky wolves that have people do things for them? That depends on your the breed. <laughs> okay, yeah. fair enough. Fair. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I think, uh, speaking of dogs, I think I'd like to come back as one of my pets. Okay. <laughs> I'm told by my the, the woman who used to walk my dog that she would also would want to come back as one of my my pets because they're they're such. What are your spoiled. pets? Well, I, at this point, it's just two two cats, Max and Milo, but uh, I had a dog okay. at one point too. Yeah. <laughs> It looks like a good life. Yeah, I, I can. If they're anything like our cat, now should we ask our guest? I think we should, Michelle Laframboise. What kind of animal would you like to be? I don't have a, a, an idea. I was thinking about a space medusa or uh, something with eyes uh, oh. to look at the wonder of the universe. A butterfly, maybe something uh, very short-lived or something very long-lived. I, I haven't uh, chosen. You don't yet. have to. <laughs> it's not required. No, because this isn't actually the point of the podcast. It's not the question that we asked you to come prepared for. As usual, we're being unfair to our guests. So, Michelle, what we, we usually do is we ask our guests to introduce themselves so that they can represent themselves to our audience the way they would like to be represented. Oh, okay, babe. Uh, first, uh, my name is Michel Laframboise, which is like the fruit, uh, raspberry in French. And uh, uh, I really like my name, even if as a child you, you get a lot of uh, problems <laughs> with it. And uh, uh, at first, I wanted to be, uh, to be a scientist, but uh, I learned science fiction uh, by reading my father's uh, collections. And uh, I read uh, Asimov, uh, The Robots of, uh, from Isaac Asimov, one of my first readings. And eventually, I started to read a lot of books, but that uh, directed me toward the science. I studied in geography and then later in engineering, but I never could really work on those fields. And eventually I found out that I, I, I prefer to tell stories. And you're a, not just a writer, but you're also a visual artist, aren't you? Uh, yes, I'm, uh, I, I just uh, put out my uh, graphic novel, Maîtresse des Vents, which is uh, Mistress of the Winds in English. And uh, I'm uh, preparing the hardcover version with a Kickstarter soon. <laughs> I hope. And uh, I'm also uh, working toward another comics, uh, which is uh, a real, not real life, but almost autobiographic story uh, about uh, how uh, you interact with your fans at uh, book fairs. And uh, there's a lot of questions and lots of uh, situations, not, not so funny situations. So it's, it's, a, it's a graphic novel about dealing with those situations. Yes, exactly. Could you give us like a, a hint, like a teaser of one 
episode. Like, uh, like uh, oh, many people ask, uh, oh, you are doing comics. Are you doing the drawings? And you said, yes. And are you doing the, the words, the text? I said, yes. <laughs> oh, so you are doing the two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of the most frequent when I was a comic artist before I became a writer. Do you have a preference just doing the writing or, or doing the graphic novels or does it matter? First of all, I became a graphic novelist because I wanted to be a writer, but I, there was only science fiction space opera with tons of uh, laser gun and uh, ships and battles in it. And uh, my uh, French teachers or English teacher for you would say, ah, oh, this is not literature. Literature was mm -hmm. uh, old stories written by a very old, uh, some often dead white guys mm. in Europe. That was literature, nothing else. And, I didn't feel, and eventually, as I love science, I studied in science and did a lot of publish uh, some uh, comic books, graphic novels in French mainly. And uh, eventually, one of those was so complicated, I did not have uh, the ability at the time to draw complex backgrounds. And uh, finally, I decided, okay, I will do it as a novel, it would be easier. It was not easier. <laughs> <laughs> But it's very wise to go, I can't quite do this yet, so I'm going to leave it till I can do it. Yes. And now I have become a little better at drawing, even if I publish about 20 novels of young adult and adult science fiction in French, all in French. I publish also a lots of stories, and I started publishing in English. Yay! Yeah. Well done. Yeah. I can't speak for Mark, but uh, I couldn't imagine publishing in French as well. I've had a couple stories published in French and one in Spanish. Oh, yes. Well, I did have one translated into Greek, but I, I didn't do it myself. Yeah. So it was translated. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> What I did, I translated some of my stories myself uh, toward English or sometimes toward French. And uh, they got published uh, in magazines. So uh, last year, I, I uh, put up uh, like uh, five of the stories in English that were also published mm -hmm. in French by totally different magazines. And I, I, I put out uh, the hard and crunchy science fiction story. That's a great title. I have a copy of that, actually, right in my bookshelf over there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, it's because uh, I like what they call hard science fiction, but... Uh, When you see hard science fiction, it does not mean uh, heartless science fiction. It means like science fiction is like chocolate. You have the cacao, cocoa, and you have the sugar and the other ingredients. And when you have the ideas, the concept, the high concept, then you have the cocoa in it. But if you just put only cocoa in your science fiction, you cannot uh, taste, you don't have that good taste, you feel it, it's a bit sour. Mm. And so you put some sugar, some uh, human interaction, some uh, funny things, and uh, uh, some uh, uh, human drama also, but it can be humor for me. Yeah. And uh, then you have a story that is well balanced, and um, especially for my uh, latest book uh, that is uh, Uh, in French, it's, uh, it would be in English, uh, tender and uh, melting science fiction tales. Those are <laughs> also scientific, but with uh, a lot more sugar. You're, you're making me really hungry here. It's the milk chocolate version of your stories, not the dark chocolate. <laughs> I like that metaphor an awful yes, lot. That's good. really good.
Yeah, I, I do it with my own presentation because I do presentation in school. And at first it was to explain because a lot of people don't understand what is science fiction. And they say, oh, it's not real literature. And I say, oh, you don't eat only vanilla ice cream. <laughs> Mark, would you be so kind as to do the honors today of posing the question? Well, uh, yeah, that's the next part of the podcast, which is what piece of artwork did you want to bring to us today to talk about the art that inspired you? Oh, yes. When we write science fiction, uh, you feed from the work of many other fantastic people. And uh, when I was um, a young reader, before I even thought of writing science fiction myself, I found out a book called Grass. Mm. And it is uh, the equivalent of Dune, but written by a woman. And I love that story by Sherry Tepper. It was the first story by Sherry Tepper I ever read. And it took me to a planet so different. And the, the presentation, uh, it was in the 90s, okay? The presentations took a certain time, and I have to try twice before finishing the first chapter. But oh my God, wasn't I for a ride? <laughs> And uh, what Sherry Tepper, what she did was showing to me what, the, for the first time, I saw what science fiction could do, really do, because I was uh, really engulfed, uh, uh, swallowed in the story. I couldn't put the book down. And it was a story, the kind of story I like, with many uh, different characters that you follow in different settings. And one of the characters was a, a young man who had to, uh, every morning, he had to descend like a thousand uh, rungs hmm. on, the, on the ladder to go serve the high priest at the bottom of something. And then he had, every evening, he, he claimed up. He's not the main character, but it was a secondary, huh. fascinating secondary character. And the main character was also a woman very interesting who loved horses. And there were horses in that story. And uh, strange uh, aliens too. But everything in grass. And there was the vegetal environment, the grass mm -hmm. itself. Uh, it was fascinating as a young would-be environmentalist that I wanted to be. And I still am very following very uh, closely all the environmental questions here in Ontario. It's one of those books where the the setting is almost a character, right? Yeah. Oh yes, yeah. you could say it's a, it's a grass planet, right? It has been compared to Dune. I was going to say it's like Dune, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've read it, Mark? Yeah, I did. I, it's I, I don't remember all of the story threads. What I remember is the planet, and that was my takeaway. I was like, oh my god, that's like that's like just a different kind and of the hunting. Yeah. There was that kind of aristocracy living in a big, big mansion, and there are several mansions, and there was those strange hunting parties, and uh, you find out that the mounts that they are hunting are not horses at all, they are other creatures, and uh, well, I, I don't want to tell more, but really, there was a lot of threads and uh, the author took all those threads and did not uh, let one drop until uh, the end. You, you, she relates all the threads. And it was such a satisfying reading that I wanted to write that way. 
And that's exactly what this podcast is about. It's about the the stories that just made just lit you up and made you go, that is what I want to do. I want to write something that good. Uh, she uh, she did another book called Raising the Stones. And that is almost as fascinating as grass because every one of her books has a strange world and stranger aliens and sometimes stranger humans. And in Raising the Stones, you have all the idea of their religion. The fanatics also, they are people and they are a strange creature that might be a god. But you don't know it, that's true. <laughs> and this is a, f- a really fascinating stories. Also, uh, a fascinating social engineering construction. Sometimes you construct a house and you don't uh, take the time to lay the foundations of the stories. Hmm. But I can say that the foundations of a Sherry Tepper story are very present, very solid. Uh, there are many other authors are, that, that are very impressive uh, for uh, like uh, Nidhi Okorafor in her Binti uh, trilogy. I was quite impressed. Uh, I'm reading uh, Derek Kunskin, The House of Sticks right now. And uh, it was uh, very fun to have uh, Quebecer swearing in French. And, uh, <laughs> Derek Kunstin, the um, co-chair of uh, CanCon, super nice guy and uh, evidently a, a terrific writer as well. It seems like a great opportunity to ask, is there some French writers from Quebec that you would recommend, uh, particularly ones that translate it? Because I think some of our readers yes, might not. I think I'm trying just to find, uh, because uh, I, I admire Elisabeth von Arbour, which is a very, and her books, uh, some of her books have a really complex social engineering in it uh, and uh, their relations uh, between people. And uh, she has a lot of books translated in English. Oh, I, I like that kind of science fiction, actually. I really like that. Oh, yes. And um, I say Yves Menard, uh, but it's not exactly science fiction, but the book of uh, the Chevalier, the Livre des Chevaliers, uh, I read it in English, Books of Nights. It's really strange fantasy. He doesn't do fantasy. Nobody does fantasy like Yves Menard. And uh, Jean-Louis Trudel has been a good influence on me because uh, he has a lot of cultural message in his stories, a, a deep, deep cultural background, like the roots of every of his stories are dig deep. I try. I hope to be able to do it like he does. Yeah, another very accomplished Quebecois author. I want to go back to Sherry Tepper, if I may. Yeah, yes. Do you do you know much about? Uh, you're obviously a fan. Yes. Do you know much about her? Can you tell us about her? Okay, Sherry Tepper is an example of someone who started science fiction to write science fiction later in life because before she was like a. A cantatrice, a theater organizer. She organized uh, the theater representation, and I think she sang also. And it was in her 50s or 60s that she started to write and to publish science fiction. When uh, I read her first book, it was not Grass, it was another book uh, that I read later. And uh, you can see the first novel, uh, there was uh, such a difference between Grass and between Raising the Stones and between uh, Sideshow, which is like uh, the third uh, link stories. But there is a lot of other stories. And oh my God, sometimes the cruel, traditional um, 
how to say that the, the cruel you know some tradition were very cruel in those uh, stories and you have always young people or people trying to raise against uh, that cruelty and find another way to live and uh, no there are mm. beautiful encounters also in Sherita stories are all her books ecologically based the way that grass is yes mainly in one of our interviews she said that uh, uh, as in energy consumption that we are the equivalent of a sperm whale uh, weight of uh, energy consumption everyone <laughs> right. and uh, she explained that um, she was very 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 aware of uh, the uh, overpopulation problem uh, in uh, the uh, her stories and uh, I'm presently reading a stories uh, that uh, called the companions, and I read reading it. Even if I have a tons of friends that I should read their novels too. <laughs> it's okay. You can't read everything. It's yeah. That that's a problem. We're all up against that one. But um, uh, I must say that uh, in the English side, I owe a lot to a couple of writers from uh, America called uh, Christian Catherine Rush and her husband Dean Wesley Smith. Because if I haven't found their blog, I would not be writing today. I would not have published mm. like uh, five stories in as month. Uh, the fifth is coming, un- upcoming, some, sometime, and uh, an analog too. And uh, I, I do have the pleasure to writing stories. Yeah, her blog is excellent. It's yeah, and and what's great about her is she's a she's what's called a hybrid author. So she self publishes as well as traditionally publishes, and she writes in several genres too. So she's yes, very exactly. knowledgeable about a bunch of genres and about how to publish yourself and how to publish with the traditional oh, yeah it's, it's she's her blog is i'd recommend it too so why do you say that you wouldn't be a writer without her what what did she do specifically it's because uh, at the time you see you as a writer you wait three years for your novels to be accepted and then you wait more year for another novel and you sign a contract and it, it was very slow and i found out that i like to write short stories and um, the the way they see it is uh, you have two schools of tough. You have the writers who are very serious and take seven years to get mm. one novel out, like the Vulcans. <laughs> and <laughs> you have uh, the, the writers who are pulp writer. And I found, I discovered when I uh, saw Wachodin was his Smith work that I'm a pulp writer. Uh, I like to write uh, like uh, relatively fast. Sometimes it's fun writing and uh, you do your best and uh, you revise a bit and then you send the text. And I, I learned to do that and uh, I have now close to 70 story, short stories published. So I'm proud of that. Yes, yeah. that's very prolific. As you should be. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, I started my own house uh, simply to put uh, my uh, short story and make my short story available to the public. Because sometimes the, the magazine that published the short story, uh, it was 20 years ago. <laughs> Go find it. <laughs> and they're gone. Yeah. yeah, I would say I've, I've published about 24, 25 short stories. And yeah, yeah. Most of those smaller publishers are gone. Yes, and also I have five collections of five stories just for the pleasure of uh, putting up uh, nice, uh, beautiful books. And uh, uh, those books I'm quite proud of. (laughs) This is, uh, I'm just showing to the screen a chocolate covered moon. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, that's uh, just to extend the metaphor, the moon is covered with chocolate. 
I'm doing every steps of the process and I love doing that. What I, I found out also is that some of my novels, on my, on my 20 or so novels, there are like 15 or 16 that are orphans. Because uh, you see in the action movie, you know that uh, rope uh, bridge in action movies or over uh, uh, a gouffre. Uh, so uh, those action, uh, so you, my publisher is like those uh, rope bridge and sometimes they fall and I have to run fast <laughs> for one. And this is why I will have to republish in ebook uh, the, the novels that have already been published by my older uh, companies. And sometimes it's not the publisher's fault. One of my favorite publishers, uh, which is called Michel Lavoie from uh, Vendouest, he died three years ago. It was not the COVID, it was at the beginning, but uh, we were so sad. And as uh, he did uh, most of the work of the, the house, uh, the house fell two weeks after. So now I had three novels that I didn't know what to do with them. So as my company called Echo Fictions, I distribute this no- those novels also by myself. So wow, I-, I think that's I think that's somewhat common. That's how I got into self publishing too. Yeah, uh, because the publisher of my second novel went out of business and. He was lovely, and it's a shame because he was doing such interesting work. Most all of my uh, comic books uh, publisher were small houses that either fell, or the last one, Vermillon, which is in Ontario, uh, also fell because uh, one of the founders died, and the other was not able to uh, reprint. It's a real problem that we could discuss at another CanCon about uh, what, at what age we start, uh, over eventually to publish because I'm about your slice of age. <laughs> so- You're in your 30s as well. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> We're all 29 here, aren't we? <laughs> Just a bunch of wonderkins. <laughs> or, or sometimes they're the recycled teenagers. I like that. but That's right, yeah. But yeah. it's just that uh, I like to put those books available. And uh, as I said, uh, I, I don't, uh, because of course, uh, when I began in the field, uh, you have all those gurus who tell you, do something, this, do that, do this, and you will sell millions. And uh, I found out that uh, it doesn't work always that way. And I think I will be quite happy uh, if, uh, why maybe work, well, uh, a few hundreds people like what I do and uh, buy what I publish because it would be enough to make me. Because I don't need a million or billions of readers. I I need I need only maybe uh, a few a few a few thousand would be more than enough. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, let, let me ask you about because um, I I do think this is a, a fascinating conversation, exactly. and I think Mark and I have have touched uh, on this before, which is. You know, in the in the field of music, indie music has a ton of street cred and ton of respect. But indie publishing writing, I don't feel is there yet. No. Do, do you feel any stigma in doing that? Uh, yes, there is a stigma in auto publishing, especially in the Fr- on the French side. Uh, th- there are two reasons. When the Kindle started, maybe twelve years ago, uh, anyone uh, like publish uh, any kind of craps and it sold because there were so so few novels. Now that you have like ten millions uh, books on Amazon or so, uh, there are a lot of books. And um, what I like uh, by my in the publishing is that uh, I have, uh, but you have to, to, to work as professionally as possible 
And uh, because I, uh, I have already published and edited and had some text ed- professionally edited for the mm-hmm. magazines, so, so uh, most of my uh, collections, there, there, there are not many uh, like uh, typos in it because, and the fun I have is finding my own cover. You have the control of your own cover. Mark is clapping because he, he loves that as well and is good at it. Oh yes, and it's my—it's one of my favorite things about self-publishing is that you have con- total control over the cover, and you're wearing a very cute hat in the back. <laughs> the author picture is very adorable. And that yeah. picture was like a candid picture taken by my son one day, and I find that it's a very good one. Yeah. So the, yes, there is a problem, but uh, and there are some people who choose to publish direct novels. I published two English novels, uh, and because uh, there was not like a market uh, interested in the kind of story, and especially the romance. There are some uh, doing uh, romance, of course, but uh, I found out that the kind of story I do would not work very well. It's uh, So eventually, the, the, it's not science fiction, so I'm passing on it fast. But in science fiction, uh, I want to republish my own space opera. Uh, the space opera was written almost 20 years ago, so it might have been aged a little, but it, it has a feel of a good gold classical space <laughs> opera. Well, you got to like those. Yeah a, yeah, a ripping good yarn, as I call them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just a good story, just yeah. a page turner. That's what you want. The first book is translated already, but by myself. So uh, the the only sort of point is the editing. I need to have it edited by someone who is not me. Oh, I, yeah, I agree. I think that if you do want to, this is advice for people who are thinking about this. If you're going to self-publish, certainly use the process that professional, yeah. traditional publishers use, which is there's an, there's an editor um, and then there's a proofreader. Yeah. Once the editor's done and you're done making the edits, then you send it to a proofreader and probably another proofreader once you get the galleys ready to go. And you work with the cover designer. And if you can't do it yourself, you hire a book designer too, because those are all different kinds of skill sets yeah. that not everybody yeah. has. But uh, I have the fun to do it myself for, uh, for now. And, uh, I, I can do the guts of a book myself, but I always, I've done a couple covers, but I just know that I'm not as good at it as a good cover designer. That's proved out with the covers that I've produced in the last three or four books. I've had professional designers and they're all great covers. Yeah. Award-winning covers, in fact. Yeah. That is the challenge to me of publishing. We're all hybrid authors here. We've had. Yeah, you published a young adult novel a few years ago. Yes. It was uh, the publisher classified it as young adult, but the, the hero is actually 39 years old. So I'm not. Yeah, I don't agree with that. <laughs> yeah. I've read that book. I don't agree. <laughs> My first space opera, I wrote it for adults. It was an adventure. But uh, uh, when they, re- they read it, uh, they told me, well, uh, it's totally suitable for young adults. <laughs> so yeah, there's well. not uh, in the Jules Verne, uh, uh, you know, the, the Jules Verne saga, which is a, a, a big uh, ship called the Jules Verne, the story, they are all adults. They are people they're going to a dangerous mission, like a Star Trek, finally. But yeah. uh, but, but that's kind of another point of, uh, so when you're with a publisher, it's their prerogative to, to market yeah, it as okay. they see fit. Whereas when you indie publish, you do have yeah. control over that as well. But exactly. I wanted to make one point about, about the whole indie publishing. The way I feel about it is that if you're indie publishing, you have to do it better than the traditional publishers. That's a, uh-huh. the, the only way to succeed, you know, to, to kind of get over that, that stigma. 
Yeah, but it's also um, there are some things that uh, I well, I, I'm not as uh, good as um, some of the gurus who are very good because I do have a newsletter, but I have maybe 100 people, uh, uh, and uh, I'm happy because those those are fans and uh, those are good friends, and uh, I, I'm working tranquil, very very slowly to grow it, but organically, not. Uh, I'm not trying to buy uh, uh, people or buy followers. And uh, yeah. the, the social media that I do is simply because I live very far away from everyone of my, my family. So it's a way to talk to uh, family uh, members and it's a way to talk to my friends, uh, uh, writer, science fiction writers, friends also. So it's, uh, it's a way to, uh, to look, but not that much to my readers. So uh, sometimes uh, I don't exactly know who my readers are. Uh, I do try to find out, but uh, it's uh, I have fun writing the things. But that that might be the kind of thing that your your readers are actually interested in, that they actually might really want to know more about you personally. Yes, exactly. So that might be good for for your readers. Oh yes. Also, uh, sometimes I tell I tell myself, okay, some someday uh, a luminary, a literary luminary will read my book and find it uh, good, and he will tell his millions of fans, and uh, over those millions <laughs> of fans, one hundred of them will have a look, and over that one hundred, maybe uh, one or ten will buy the book. And it will be that's, a- that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the whole um, that 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 famous promotion called uh, BookBub that seems to be the way it works it's like you know they send emails out to a million people and then a hundred people buy it (laughs) but you have to submit you have to pay some money and uh, at the point when i started my company i did not want to pay money for uh, those uh, kind of scheme Uh, i i wanted to have a certain number of texts behind me before Smart. doing that and I, I find out that uh, yes and we have a series like my uh, my collections uh, they are uh, the first ones that sold very really better than the other uh, books uh, because I began to start with very very uh, thin chapbooks it is it was for uh, readers who has a short attention span <laughs> or who are learning the French or who are learning English and so uh, all my first well, the three first year all my books were thin little books and uh, some of them sold but uh, not all of them and eventually when I started the collections and uh, uh, then they, they start uh, like selling just a little more. They are also always the price points. And uh, I have just so many hours in a day, so I don't have the time to do that much promotion on the social media. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that there's other people, other authors who have more hours in the day. Mm, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they do it's some kind of weird. They have a cloning machine. Yeah, yeah but those of us like me who only have like, you know, <laughs> Six hours in the day. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty difficult. Yeah, uh, is uh, going to event like uh, that are not too far from my own home, and like uh, there was the Toronto French Book Fair, and I had my own uh, stand. Yes, and I sold uh, quite well at uh, that event, and uh, it's not simply to 
make money and sell books, but it has to gain new readers that eventually yeah. will like and uh, uh, get uh, get informations and eventually uh, get the uh, re- receive the newsletter also. Yeah. But as uh, myself, I do receive like maybe three writers, three or four writers newsletter. But at the point, you don't have the time to read that many newsletters. So uh, the, the very good the guru, they have a niche and they, they get their, um, their millions or thousands of readers to... Uh, I, I don't like all the money funneling things. Uh, there was one place where uh, you catch the people who visit your website and you, uh, you suck them in... <laughs> Hmm. Oh yeah, the funnel. Oh, you're talking the of the funnel, funnel right? Yeah. But yeah, you get them. You get them to this page, then they do this, and then they do that. Yes. Oh, and then you've got them. Oh, exactly. <laughs> more and more, I think there's just one secret to success, which is how do you uh, turn a book into a bestseller? You write a bestseller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just write it. Write the best book you can write. That's all you can do. Try to learn yeah. as much as you can. For instance. Uh, uh, there are the three beats or the, the beats of, and there was a, like a, a, a writer, a scenarist, which is 22 steps. And it was very funny to read. And it, it just helped you like uh, in uh, just get the knowledge a little. But when you write, uh, you create something and it uh, comes naturally. It's when you do exercising sometime, uh, you find out that the, the movement comes naturally. But you have to master uh, each step of the, the, the move or the dance for dancing, for instance. To bring it back to Sherry Tepper... Yeah, that's you what know, I was gonna do. Too, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, because she, yeah. I mean, she obviously did it right because, you know, here we are talking about Sherry Tepper. And why? Because she she wrote great books. Yeah. Yeah. And and she was a real late bloomer from what you said. I didn't realize that. I don't yes. know why I didn't know that, but I didn't know that yet. I find that very yeah. reassuring. It, it was incredible. And she, yeah, she, me too. And she, she lasts long. Uh, she uh, she published at least 20, 30 books, uh, 30 novels. Oh, and uh, every, um, I, I, I'm keeping some for later because there's a kind of writer that you want to return mm-hmm. to. Yeah. And uh, I found out that Sherry Tepper, sometimes I reread her when, like, uh, like right now, I'm not at a good place uh, and we were uh, worried about my mother. So I reread that writer sometimes to, to recapture the sense uh, that was the, the first time you read. It's like a little bit of comfort food in terms of books. Yes, exactly. And so I say, Oh, I say to my writer's friends who are, who are listening right now, I'm sorry, I haven't read your, your novel yet. Soon, soon. Yeah. I, I have a disclaimer yeah. that you, nobody is under any obligation to read, yeah. buy my books or, or, yeah. or read them. You're yeah. expressing the anxiety all of us have <laughs> in this yes, business. Yes, it's, it's, you can only read yeah. so much. And, yeah, you can't read everything. So I will certainly eventually taste your stories. Uh, even if you have sh- some short stories out, look, I can taste because I read a lot yeah. of short stories. But I have the same problem with magazines. Three years ago, I was, uh, well, I-, I subscribed to like uh, five different magazines, two in French and uh, three in English, and I'm not able to follow. <laughs> well, I have a very simple solution for the whole problem of what to do about your your friends' books. Yeah, I won't read your damn books, but I will have you on my podcast. <laughs> it's 
the very least we could do. Yeah. <laughs> also, when I read a good books from a friend and I, I promote the it on Goodreads and on the platform that helps you talk about a book. And I always, uh, as a writer, I'm not, I never diss another writer's book. I never tell, it's always good things I tell about uh, the friends. Oh, of course. Yeah. I have the same policy. Yeah. yeah you, the only way you know if I didn't like a book was I didn't review it. And, and you know, I read it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I will never give any, anyone less than four stars because yeah. just, I, just, I just can't. And uh, I think Christian Ruff said that don't uh, ever like uh, disparage someone else writing because it will hurt your writing. There's also something to the idea that we're creators, we're not critics, you know, yeah. and I think there's a, that's kind of a different job yes, and it really exactly. should be a different job. A, a critic is kind of a different thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a critic, and, uh, so but I, when I write a book, I can say, okay, this doesn't work for me. Da, 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 da. But uh, for instance, I, I read some space opera by uh, a writer uh, that uh, had did something. He didn't. He didn't like anything that looks too socialist to him, and uh, eventually, uh, it was annoying because he repeated that every 15 pages in his space opera and. Uh, uh, at the point, I say, okay, I know. <laughs> this is what an editor is for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, My editor would never let me get away with that shit. <laughs> He'd be like, no, you said that twice. You're done. You can't say it again. Yeah, it's an example, yeah. Somebody pointed out with uh, with my book that uh, I used the word particularly too much. And uh, now you'll note that the word particularly never shows up in any of my other books. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's wonderful. As uh, I started writing maybe more than 20 years ago, and I was like, uh, I started late. I didn't start at 16 like some of uh, my friends, but I started like uh, late. Uh, and then there are some things that I didn't see when I read and even reading, rereading myself. And now I can, I'm able to like, see some things that I could not distinguish before, uh, that I did not notice before. And so uh, it's good to read a lot anyway. I love to read uh, and to taste as many uh, different uh, voices as I can. And uh, sometimes you make good discoveries. Absolutely. Now, Michel Lefranboise, do you uh, have any final words you want to say about your uh, the inspiration that you brought to the table, uh, Sherry Tepper? Uh, funny words. My own writing is not at all like Sherry Tepper's, even if she inspired me. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew in, uh, to, into my own kind of uh, writer, if I can say, and, uh, and my own brand of chocolate science fiction. And uh, I really hope, and I, I'm still uh, continuing to do also drawings, and so uh, I'm producing graphic novels. Uh, not at a fast pulp writing, pulp writer speed, but uh, at least uh, I have the pleasure to not waiting until it's perfect. You do your best, and then you uh, you send it, and then you work on the on the other. I love to tell story. I love to um, uh, make barriers fall, uh, especially the artificial barriers. Uh, the fences that are all around us sometimes and uh, that uh, separates people from uh, the, the others. And this is what science fiction does uh, very well. It's uh, like attacking mm -hmm. uh, the, our own world's problem and then presenting it 
uh, in another way that uh, makes it uh, more evident. I know that after reading Sherry Tepper's Grass and the other novel, I am a better human being. Hmm. And this is what I wish for all of you listening to the podcast. That's wonderful. Wow. Thank you. That's a wonderful sentiment. Mark, any any final thoughts, uh, observations? I can't top that. Come on. I should have gone to you first, right? And then, yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Top that beautiful thought, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> a basket full of kittens, a basket full of puppies. I don't know. <laughs> Mi- Michelle, thank you very much for being on our podcast. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> thank you so much, Michelle. Lovely meeting you. Joe, I'm really enjoying this. This has been fun, but I don't want to do this podcast anymore. You're talking about stopping the podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I do want to take August off. I just had a, like a heart attack, Mark. I was just trying to get that rise out of you. <laughs> so yeah, I think we should take August off. I think we should end end of July and come back after Labor Day. I think that's a terrific idea. Why don't we do a special episode to finish the whole thing off? A very special episode? A very special episode, yes. And we're going to launch your book, right? Yes. We're going to launch my book, Adventures in the Radio Trade, with a special live edition of Recreative. That sounds perfect. So we'll do that on the 30th? Sunday the 30th will be a special live edition of Recreative, after which we'll take August off. And then we'll be back on... After Labor Day. After Labor Day. I'll take my white pants off at that point. Your white pants. (laughs) Right, because you're not supposed to wear white after Labor Day. Do I look like someone who pays any attention to that kind of... Do I look like someone who has white pants? (laughs) 